Good morning. Trying to uh, uh, get into the the building this morning was difficult carrying the sermon. So if my sermon sounds a little soggy, you'll you'll know why. We have been talking about uh, in this section about witnessing. Uh, in a culture that is in conflict with us, or we are in conflict with the present-day culture. And uh, living in a culture that is contrary to Christ is not easy, nor is it comfortable. The refrain, this world is not my home, constantly comes to mind. Uh, what the world values is not what I want to value. The way the world works is not how I want to work. The temptation is to isolate ourselves from the craziness of the world. I want to go someplace that makes sense, someplace safe, someplace that feels comfortable. And maybe today is that day, if the Lord decides to wait another day until he calls us home, he does not want us to wait in a commune, huddled together, waiting out the storm. Uh, in the comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, one of my favorite and perhaps uh, you know, the greatest theology book ever, uh, I know you can't read this, maybe you can, it's smaller on the TV screen in the back. Um, the idea of this, that Calvin is talking to his stuffed tiger Hobbes, saying that the secret to life is being at the right place at the right time. The problem is, you never know when the right time is. So Calvin suggests that you find the right place and wait there. And if it happens to be in front of a comic book store, then so be it. Uh, that is uh, the idea of, of let's be as comfortable as we can while we wait. But God has a better idea. God wants our honorable conduct to witness to the lost world in which we live. In 1 Peter 2, 13-17, Peter instructed the churches that this letter was addressing to to subject themselves to every human institution Submission to government, another man-made institution, is the honorable conduct God desires for those who claim to follow Christ. This week, it is a different group that is told to submit. In 1 Peter 2.18, it says, Servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we know that your word is true, that it is perfect, that it is God-breathed. It's, it's your very breath. That's what inspiration is. And that it's profitable for all sorts of uh, things in our life, uh, for instruction, for correction, instruction, and, and righteousness, uh, equipping us for every good work. Um, but Father, if I'm being honest, sometimes I come across a verse like this one that says, slaves, be subject to your masters, to your human masters. Father, help us to understand the point, the significance, uh, and have the humility to, to, uh, to recognize where this applies in our life, uh, and uh, that we'll do it because, one, you have told us to, and we want to be obedient. Uh, and, Father, we want to bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start out that, by saying that the Bible is not in support of slavery. However, the, the Bible does 
regulate slavery. Um, please notice that that's a, a, a difference. It's, it's kind of similar to, we're, we're going to get to a little bit to this. You know, the, the Bible, they said to, uh, to Jesus, Moses commanded us to divorce. And Jesus' response was, no, that, that's, that's God's command. This is how God said to do it. But, so what does the law do with, with that? It says, well, we know it's going to happen, so here's the best way to do the bad thing, right? And, uh, and so it regulates. The Bible does not support slavery, but it, it does regulate it. Uh, and, but in here we have kind of a, a different purpose in it that we really need to stick to. Uh, this, uh, this is not a, a sermon on, uh, on what, the, what the Bible says about slavery. It's, and I'm not pulling together all of the passages and, and coming, here's, here's the theology of slavery in, in Scripture. That's, that's not what I'm going to do this morning because I don't think that's the point that Peter had when he, when he wrote uh, to, to the churches in northern Turkey, most of which, the, the, the congregation, most of them were slaves. Uh, a little different than us here this morning, right? Uh, but uh, uh, we tend to think of slaves as being in the cotton fields. Uh, in the Roman world, uh, what we think of as high-end professional careers, such as physicians and accountants, they were slaves in the Roman world. Uh, so there's a little difference there. And even though slavery has been outlawed by every country in the world, it is still a reality. Uh, the sex trade industry is alive and well, but a more traditional form of slavery still exists. While there are principles that can be gleaned from this passage about slavery uh, to our reality of employment, there is a difference between the two. I don't want you to think that God will be displeased with you because you quit a job where you were being treated harshly or unfairly. Maybe God wants you to stick it out, but maybe God wants you to quit and find a different job. We have options that slaves do not. So please keep that in mind. Peter is giving the actions of honorable conduct that can be used to witness to a culture that is contrary to Christianity. And that's what he is doing here in 1 Peter. A slave can witness to their lost slave owner. The Bible is not condoning slavery in 1 Peter, but it is instructing a slave on how to, bring how to bring God glory in their current life situation. Peter instructs the slaves to respectfully submit to their masters. Immediately, Peter informs the readers that the goodness of the slave master did not change the command to be subject to masters with all respect. The cruel, unjust, crooked master was to be submitted to. Undeserved punishment and suffering are common for underlings whether in slavery or present-day employment. Between my first year and second year of college, I worked at a car parts factory in Michigan. That's not an uncommon thing to do in Michigan, to work in the car industry. Uh, I was grateful for that job for two reasons. I earned enough money during the summer to pay my tuition for the next semester, uh, and the job motivated me to go back to school so I would never have to work there again. <laughs> Anybody else have a job like that? All right, uh, which is exactly what you want in a summer job. My job was to put finishing touches on chrome parts. My shift was 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I worked the third shift. 
One evening, I was placing hard rubber edges on something. I don't know what it was. I didn't need to know, but it was chrome, and it needed a, a, a rubber piece that, that glued to it, and, uh, and that's what I was, I was doing. Uh, the rubber was supposed to stick to the chrome piece, but the glue on the rubber was defective. It would stick to the piece for a few hours, but by the time it got to the assembly plant across the state, the glue would let loose, and the car manufacturer would complain. I will give you a hundred guesses as to whose fault it was. <laughs> yeah, it was my fault, of course. Uh, you know, the 19-year-old the kid making $8 an hour, that's whose fault it becomes. I asked what I could have done differently so I could make sure that it didn't happen in the future. And I was told by the quality control officer nothing really could be done differently. Okay. Uh, she said, we told the manufacturer that we would add a step of wiping the chrome piece down with rubber alcohol, or rubbing alcohol, and a paper towel. I asked if that would solve the problem, and I was told that it probably wouldn't. I asked if the additional step would change rate. Anybody here familiar with the concept of rate? You have to make rate. That means in an in a, in a eight-hour shift, these are the amount of parts you need to get done. Uh, and... Um, and you better make rate, right? And, uh, and if you don't make rate, uh, there can be consequences that, that come from that, such as um, being suspended without pay for a certain length of time. So rate is the amount of work that is supposed to be done by the end of an eight-hour shift. So not making rate is a big issue. Uh, it can get you written up, so it is important to make rate. I was told that rate would remain the same for my shift, even with the additional step. Uh, I finally asked if there was anything else I needed to know about. I was told that my box that I had completed would be tagged, which is a bad thing, uh, and if I got tagged two more times, I would be suspended for a day without pay. Am I the only one who ever had a job like this? Right? Uh, a lot of you are like, I, I understand what it's like to be an underling. And sometimes the decisions that get made and the things that come your way, they're not always fair. And, uh, and I was tempted to get very, very frustrated with that because there was no way for me to know if it was going to stick or not. There was nothing I could do to make sure that it would. And, and I was going to be the one held accountable when it inevitably failed. I am not a slave, but sometimes employment can feel like it, can it? When things are out of your hand. Uh, so I said to the quality control officer, and I'm, I'm frustrated at the time, but I said, so the products I've been given are faulty, there's nothing I can do to make it work correctly, and I'll be suspended if it con continues to happen. And the quality control officer didn't seem to understand what I was getting at. So I said, got it, I understand. I understood I was working for a bunch of wackos. That's what I understood. <laughs> what I figured out a few weeks later was that the product hadn't been supervised correctly by the quality control officer before making it onto the factory floor. And it was easier to blame me than it was for the quality control officer to blame herself or deal with our vendors. That is what, what is meant by unjust or crooked. Peter is instructing the believers in the church who are slaves or servants to subject themselves to the masters 
that were harsh, crooked, and unjust, but to do so with all respect. The difference between me and a slave is I got to quit at the end of the summer. I'm trying to keep that in mind because there is a difference between employment and slavery. But for the slave, Peter's told them, submit to the unjust, crooked master with all respect. When we hear that, I think a very fair question is, why? Why do I have to do that? Why is it important for me to respect an unjust, crooked master if I were a slave? I think it's a fair question to ask and an important question to ask. Why submit to cruel masters? Why submit to cruel masters? This whole section is describing honorable conduct witnessed by unbelievers. We know one reason already. A believer's honorable conduct will be seen by unbelievers, and they will honor God on the day of his visitation. This section gives four more reasons to respectfully submit to cruel masters. Again, we are not slaves. This teaching does not directly um, speak to us, but there are principles to apply. There are principles to understand that will change our mindset and our actions to the glory of God. We will be a better witness because we have grown as we studied God's inspired word. In verse 19 and 20, going on from from, uh, the instruction, the command that Peter gives, it says, For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are being beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What is the first reason to submit to cruel masters? Submission to cruel masters pleases God. Submission to cruel masters pleases God. It says, mindful of God. That's very similar to last week. If you look a few verses up ahead or behind, it says, for the Lord's sake, right? So those are mindful of God, for the Lord's sake. Those are very similar. Uh, and each one is, is being uh, brought up to help people remember to, um, to not do it for the worthiness of the person, but for the motivation of doing it for the Lord. I am being respectful in my submission not because my boss deserves it, not because they are always right, but I do it in honor of my Savior. This is a sacrifice of praise. This is a sacrifice of praise. I am placing myself on the altar as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is pleasing to God. You know what the problem with living sacrifices are? They keep trying to crawl off the altar. Right? Does that describe, I know it describes me, does that describe you? I have to every, not just every day, it seems sometimes like it's a moment by moment thing where I have to continually place myself as a living sacrifice on the altar. And it's hard when you are dealing with an unjust or a cruel boss to place myself on that altar. It is a sacrifice of plays. I am trusting that God will take this sacrifice and use it for his purposes. So that we have to have that mindset that I'm going to do this for the Lord's sake or I'm going to do this 
mindful of God, trusting that God will take what I am doing, my sacrifice of praise, and that he will use it for his purpose. Suffering unjustly, sometimes when Christians suffer at the hands of a superior, it is not because they are a Christian, it can be because they deserve it. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. There was a Christian office worker who was being written up at work. They claimed it was because they were a believer who was listening to Christian radio and that their boss didn't like that. The pastor knew the company and was surprised by the seeming anti-Christian actions of the superiors. He investigated what had happened, and what had happened was the Christian worker was blaring the radio loudly, believing that doing so was a good witnessing technique. When asked to turn it down, not off, they simply asked to turn it down, he refused. That's not suffering unjustly. That's getting what you deserve. And we have to always make sure that we remember to not just cry foul when, when something bad or, or there's correction, corrective action taken. We need to examine and say, did I do this right? right? Is, is, do I have a, a part in this? Uh, being reprimanded in that situation is not unjust, unjust suffering. Instead, it's getting what you deserve. So we need to keep that in mind. We find God's favor when we unjustly suffer for God's sake. We might be out of favor with our earthly masters, but we'll have the heavenly master's favor instead. In the Bible it says no man can have two masters, because why? You'll love one and despise the other. Well, if you're choosing which one you want to be loved by, and and, and it can't be both, whose, whose pleasure would you, would you desire to have in you? Your earthly master or your heavenly master? So that's another thing to have in mind that um, sometimes doing the right thing might make somebody upset with me, but, but my goal is I'm, I'm working to please my, my heavenly father. And you know what? Most of the time, what pleases the heavenly father will also please the boss. Most of the time, not all of the time. Uh, what pleases the Heavenly Father? Honesty, right? Honesty. Do you think bosses appreciate honest workers? Yeah. Uh, while in college, I work at J.C. Penney, and they have a fantastic security uh, detail. They, they, they do that very, very well. Uh, and typically what they have is, is they have a, a computer guy and a former Marine working together uh, and, uh, and they do a good job, at least when, when I worked, this was in Kansas City. <clears throat> Most of the security measures taken was to protect the store from who? The employees. The employees were much more likely to try to steal than, than the customers. Do you think bosses like honest employees? Absolutely. So most of the time, what pleases the Father will please earthly masters. Um, but if we aim to please the Father... Um, we won't go wrong, right? We won't go wrong. Um, sometimes, in the moment, the favor of the boss can be desirable, but we have to think long-term. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, paid dearly for his honorable conduct when Potiphar and his wife caused Joseph to be imprisoned in Egypt. But Joseph kept finding God's favor when he suffered unjustly. But sometimes, in the moment, it doesn't always feel that way. You know, I mean, we look at it and we say, oh, Joseph 
got promoted to be the, um, uh, the, the, the chief in the, in the prison. You know what? I'd rather be the low man in McDonald's than the chief in prison. Right? It doesn't always feel like you find God's favor, but that's because we don't always see God's hand in what he is doing. But we want to submit to cruel masters because that pleases God. That's why we need to submit to cruel masters. Also, submission to, God, to, submission to cruel masters is God's will. 1 Peter 2.21, it says at the very beginning, for to this you have been, what? Called. For to this you have been called. We have been called to suffer for doing righteous things. That's God's will. An example of this is found in Acts, and I'll, I'll read these uh, four verses to you in Acts 14, verses 19 through 23. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. Um, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. I don't know if I would have waited a day you know, but, uh, but Paul waited the next day and then, and then continued on. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. Suffering and tribulations is God's will for us. I couldn't help but when thinking about this, think that the gospel is the opposite of the prosperity gospel that's popular today, isn't it? The focus is on entering the kingdom of God. Paul says through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God. The prosperity gospel is, well, your best life now, I guess, is what the prosperity gospel is. It is God's will to suffer now and glory later. Suffering, suffering is temporary. Glory lasts forever. We honestly ask for God's will to be done in our life or to be placed where God wants us to be. Can we start thinking about God's will in who he wants us to be? God wants us to be tested and refined followers of Christ. That's who God wants us to be. Submission to cruel masters follows Christ's example. In 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We have been called to suffer unjustly while being mindful of God because that is what Jesus did. Now maybe, and it's a fair question, do I really have to do something just because Jesus did it? Jesus died on a cross do I have to do that? Actually, yes. 
In Galatians 2.20 it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is, not, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, Jesus fed thousands with a few loaves of bread. Do I have to do that? Yes, in this way. You have to live by faith. You have to live by faith. That's what Jesus did. God uses trials to bring about spiritual maturity. And God uses spiritually mature people to accomplish his eternal purpose. In James 1, 2 through 4, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You notice when it says when you, not if you? You know what that means? That means trials are common. I mean, you can try to uh, avoid difficulty all your life, um, but trials are coming. It reminds me of my brother who has a saying, when it comes to working out, he says, no pain, no pain. And that sounds pretty good to me. That's his approach to, to working out. What, what do I need to do to avoid pain? Um, but we know here in James it says, no pain, no gain. Trials produce maturity. It says, uh, let your steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That you basically will be mature. That happens through trials. God's will for believers is for them to be steadfast, to bear up under difficult circumstances, such as unjustly suffering from a harsh, crooked, earthly master. That is no, uh, that is not the only way God works. He can bring trials from a difficult teacher, from a coach, from a boss, from relatives, from storms. There's all sorts. God's not limited in the way he can introduce uh, trials into your life. He, he, God's creative. It can come from a lot of different places. Uh, but here, specifically, we're talking about uh, slaves with, with earthly masters. But God wants us to follow the example of his son. He gave us a winning pattern to follow. The instructions can be difficult to follow. Uh, a lady from Taiwan that was in our previous church taught Mary how to make egg rolls. It worked out well because I like egg rolls. Another lady taught Mary how to make pumpkin rolls. That worked out well because I like pumpkin rolls. If you have a particular dish you're known for, feel free to contact Mary at your earliest convenience. But there was another lady at our church who was notorious for asking for recipes and then wouldn't follow the recipe, and then she would call and ask why the recipe didn't work. Christ is the pattern we must follow and copy. Christ was blameless in his actions and words. He did not deceive. When Christ was verbally attacked, he did not attack back. When Christ was in the midst of suffering, he did not threaten. He could have said, your time is coming, buddy. But instead he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't know about the rest of you, but this sounds difficult. You might be feeling exasperated by this. Please remember, you are not a slave. Slaves don't have a choice of sticking with it. 
an employee can find a different employer. A slave cannot find a different master. But we are called to suffer unjustly. You might be asking, when I am suffering unjustly, when I have a crooked boss, an unjust boss, uh, an unfair boss, cruel, am I supposed to just stand there and take it? No. God is not asking you to stand there and do nothing. What does the end of verse 23 say, say Jesus did in response to suffering unjustly? It says, what did he do? This is, this is not nothing. What did he do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That is very different than doing nothing. That is something. That's a big something. And that's what we are called to do. The example that Jesus gave in Luke 23, 46 says, Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then having said, he breathed his last. That was the end where Jesus said, I am continuing to entrust myself to the Father. A faithful follower at, of Christ at my previous church was quickly approaching the end of his life. Dementia had taken his mind and his body had deteriorated. The senior pastor was in this gentleman's home toward the end, and the gentleman's wife said that her husband sounded like he was faintly singing the same song the past few days. She said she didn't know what song it was, but found it interesting, and she was able to hum the tune, and my senior pastor recognized it immediately. And he was humming the tune to the song my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. Strength for today is mine always. All I have to do is follow. Through dementia, through physical weakness, his witness was made clear hours before his death. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. All he had to do was follow. And that's what we have to do as well. All we have to do is follow. Keep entrusting ourselves. It doesn't, it's, the idea is not once. Boy, don't you wish we could just be spiritual in, in one decision? Say, from now on, God, I'm going to be spiritual. I'm going to trust you always. You know, the Bible describes our, uh, our relationship with Christ as a walk. Why? Because it's step by step. And that's what we have to do. We have to keep entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. That brings us to reason number four, to submit. Submission to cruel masters teaches us to depend on Christ. We don't entrust ourselves to anyone other than Christ. We don't entrust ourselves to the government, to our employers, to family or to friends, even the most well-intentioned person isn't worthy of entrusting our whole being into. That is not their mistake when they fail. That's ours for putting our complete trust in them. Why should we only entrust ourselves to Christ? Well, look at the end of this section, talking about Christ and, and quoting from Isaiah. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you want to die to sin, it is only by Jesus bearing our sin on himself when he was crucified. And trust yourself only to him. That's the the action that proves his worthiness of entrusting our whole being to him, is that we might die to sins because he bore our sins. If you want to live to righteousness, it is only by Jesus healing our sinful selves through the wounds he obtained by dying in our place. No one else, only Jesus. God the Father revealed to the prophet Isaiah what the Messiah would accomplish for sinful people. Look at the extent to which Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. In Isaiah 53.5 it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And without his wounds, and it says, And with his wounds we are healed. Thinking about Christmas and the angels coming to the shepherds, what did they proclaim to the shepherds? Peace on earth. I like history. I'm, I don't have a, a degree in history, but I, I enjoy history. Can, I, can you think of a time on earth since that announcement was made where there was total peace? Not at all. When the angels came and they proclaimed peace on earth, was there immediately no more wars? So how were they proclaiming peace on earth? Because Isaiah prophesied, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. That's pointing to Jesus. There was enmity. There, there is, there is a, a lack of fellowship between sinful mankind and a perfect holy God. God cannot have sin in his presence, nor can he have sin go unpunished. That would make God unholy. God can't just say, eh, forget about it, no big deal. That's not how it works with a holy God with sin. And God said there is only one way for mankind to have peace with me, and that is if I do all the work. So God the Son was born in Bethlehem, took on flesh, fully God, fully man, lived that perfect life so he would be that perfect sacrifice. And he died on the cross, taking our sins upon him, paying them, rising again, proving that the Father had accepted that payment. And now, believer, we have peace with God. Apart from Christ, we were lost and helpless like straying sheep. But because of hardship, we look to Christ, and he is the one who pastors us. He is the one who visited us. He is the one who watches over us. Let's continue to entrust ourselves to him. I was trying to think of a, uh, a clever sentence to kind of sum this, this section up concerning our, our witness and our honorable conduct that God uses as a witness. Christ is our example when we suffer. 
we are an example of Christ to the world. He is our example, and when we suffer, we are the example of Christ to the world. Heavenly Father, it is very encouraging to know that you will use our honorable conduct, which comes by faith, but it comes by entrusting ourselves to you. We cannot have honorable conduct apart from entrusting ourselves to you. And that when we are suffering uh, because of unjust people, uh, authority in our lives, that we can look to the example of your son and what he did. He saved the world because of unjust suffering. Father, help us to continue entrusting ourselves to him knowing that you never waste it, that you never waste it, uh, and that, uh, and that uh, you love us and care for us, and you used unjust suffering to save us. Thank you for the love that you have for us and that the love Christ has for us, uh, and help us to continue entrusting ourselves to him. In Jesus' name.